the most incompetent hackers in the world can compromise these devices, and that is 53% of medical technology devices across the entire spectrum. Hello, and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. I am talking today with Mark Bowling, who is Chief Risk Security and Information Security Officer at cybersecurity firm ExtraHop. Hello, Mark, and welcome. Hey, how are you doing? I was wondering if you can start by telling me about ExtraHop and how long have you been there? So I've been at ExtraHop uh, for about two years. Before that, I was in various CISO-type roles. For about five years, before that, 20 years, I was with the FBI, left the FBI as a field executive. Before that, I was a serviceman. I was a officer, a nuclear engineering officer, intended initially for subs, but we won the Cold War, so I ended up going to a carrier. So, yeah. Did that help you with your cybersecurity Absolutely. job? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say the first thing is that being part of the Navy nuclear community really implanted what I would call absolutely robust engineering and technical best practices in me. Uh, there was, there's not a lot of toleration in that community for, for technical incompetence. Uh, but then uh, in the FBI for 20 years, I really learned uh, as a uh, special agent, as an investigator, the ins and outs of incident response, ins and outs of the types of vulnerabilities that are left open by corporations. And of course, what the bad guys do, how the bad guys think. And that includes both, uh, criminal enterprises such as Russian organized crime, well as nation state actors such as the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Chinese, and of course, the Russians. Yeah, fascinating background. Um, today, we're talking about medical devices and, and uh, has to do with hospital cybersecurity. There seems to be a lot of news lately about medical devices being susceptible to cyber attacks. Um, I heard one instance uh, not having to do with a hospital in which the hackers got in through a fish tank monitor somehow into the retailer's uh, information. I don't know how that works, but I'm wondering with healthcare, are you seeing some medical devices that are more susceptible to cyber attacks than others? Well, I that's a great question. I'm going to answer that question, but let me set the uh, kind of an understanding around the question. It isn't really the device itself. What we're concerned about is what we would call the native operating system on which the device is built. And uh, in January of 22, it was reported that 53% of medical devices had what were called known critical vulnerabilities. And a critical vulnerabilities in cybersecurity speaks, it means that the vulnerability is known. It's published, it's well-identified, and there has been a compromise method published. So this is plug and play. The most incompetent hackers in the world can compromise these devices, and that is 53% of medical technology devices across the entire spectrum. So once these devices are identified, an attacker can compromise them almost trivially. And so these include all types of medical equipment, pacemakers, operating room equipment, uh, patient care monitoring equipment. We'll talk a little bit about that. And even radiology equipment. Once again, the problem is not with the devices itself or the function of the device. The problem is with the native operating system that is out of service, out of date, and out of support. So you, they can't be patched. 
That being said, there's six types of devices that I believe the FDA did specifically call out for vulnerabilities. So I want to make sure that I cover those six. You have infusion and insulin pumps. You have smart pins. You have what, is, what is that? What's a smart pin? A smart pin is something you can write on a board or you can like use to diagram. Like I never would have thought that. I never would have included yes, that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Implantable cardiac devices. Wireless vital monitors, I kind of mentioned those earlier with patient care monitoring equipment, thermometers and temperature sensors. And then, of course, this is one that people don't think of because it's not really med tech. It's a broader IoT, but security cameras. What, it, what does it mean when you think that you can turn off the security cameras in a NICU unit? And so we can't observe what the uh, what could be happening with the the care of the, the preemie um, babies. So... The security cameras, that's an important, we call them physical security control in hospitals. But those six devices have been, six families of devices have been specifically called out for vulnerabilities. But once again, not the device type, it's the native baseline, the operating system baseline that introduces the vulnerabilities. That is a scary figure, 53%. It's yeah, very scary. I was by that. I was stunned when I saw that number. I'm wondering, what can hospitals and patients do to protect themselves? Um, what happens with, you said, it's not the medical device, but the underlying software. So what what needs to happen here? So what I want to do, first of all, having been an FBI agent, I'm a big fan of the FBI. So I'm going to kind of give the party line there, all right? I'm sorry, I'll apologize ahead of time. But in September of 22, the FBI provided the following recommendations. And endpoint protection, identity access management controls, asset management, vulnerability management, and then training to help misks, help mitigate risks that are identified. Let's I'm gonna tear into each of those a little bit, okay? Endpoint protection may or may not be applicable. You frequently cannot put an EDR system such as CrowdStrike or Carbon Black onto some of these out-of-date operating systems that the medical technology is built on. So endpoint may not be the most valid solution, okay? Identity access management, if you use that to protect the network, the environment that the devices are used in, then it's valid. But you have to understand most of, most of these devices, those operating systems don't have device authentication or user authentication on them. They're in many ways dumb devices. So identity access management may or may not be valid. Asset management is always valid. You always want to know what assets are in your environment, okay? Vulnerability management is good, but once again, that depends on the baseline of the operating system. If the baseline is uh, out of date, out of service, and out of support, then you cannot patch it. You cannot properly configure it. So you have misconfigurations and you have unpatched systems. Therefore, the ability to manage the vulnerabilities is limited. And of course, training always helps. Now, one important recommendation that was unfortunately overlooked by the FBI was the need to segment the networks, okay? So there's this thing called network segmentation, segregation, and it's the use of firewalls internal to a network. What you wanna do if you're a healthcare provider is you want to isolate all of these devices as much as you can, excuse me, on a network a segmented network so that intruders from the outside can't get in 
to that network. That's called a compensating control. So you build these compensating controls around these uh, devices, these network medical technology devices, in order to pr pr uh, protect them from what we call remote compromise. Mark, what I hear you saying is that, okay, let's say a hacker gets in to a hospital's computer through somebody who opens up an email they shouldn't. Sure. But if it's segmented, that means they can't get into the medical devices because it's in a separate compartment. Is that what you're recommending? Yes, it would be on a separate segment of the network, and that segment would be what we call segregated, which means you have a firewall that implements access controls between the, uh, the non-protected or less protected segment of the network than the more protected segment of the network. I find that network segmentation and the, the segregation of devices on specific segments is the most effective compensating control that hospitals can do. Is this something that chief information security officers at hospitals already know about? Or is this something, you know, these recommendations that you're giving, or is this something that you work with hospitals and, and their, their security officers to implement? So this is something we have helped hospitals who are our customers in the past do. And so one of the, one of the things that you have is, so Extra has a, is a tool called NDR, Network Detection and Response. So if you think of NDR, uh, tracks all of the data going over the network. Well, EDR, Endpoint Detection and Response, tracks the processes on the endpoints. So if you're in a med tech environment, and you cannot monitor the endpoints because they're too old to put endpoint detection or response on it, then guess what? The only way to monitor the network is to use network detection or response. So this is some, something where ExtraHop has been very active with our healthcare partners, our healthcare provider partners, hospitals, large hospital systems, and helping them implement network segmentation and also helping them implement network monitoring of their networks so that they're able to detect an attack, a remote attack on these very, very vulnerable endpoint devices. I have to say, you know, what I hear from hospitals, especially rural hospitals and smaller hospitals, is a lot of this security is expensive. Yeah. And right now, I heard uh, one person say, if we have the money, we're going to put it towards nurses, not towards security. That's what we need foremost. Is there any money available out there? Is, is there money that comes with these recommendations, especially for training? Because I imagine that's a huge, a huge thing. So I, I don't know what kind of grants are available. What I do know is I, I have done some research on the December 29, 2022 Omnibus Act. And that is focused entirely on ensuring cybersecurity of medical devices as they're rolled out. I'm not sure what additional um, grants or financial resources may be out there. Um, I think it's a matter of evaluating risk. Okay, so if you are a if you are a chief risk officer at a hospital or a chief information security officer who has risk management responsibilities, you have to take a step back and you say, well, what is the cost to the enterprise if we don't implement controls? Do we have a, a potential violation of the HIPAA security rule? Do we have a potential negative outcome with a patient that may cause litigation costs and settlement costs? 
So the risks actually add up. And so what I would say is the hospitals need to take a step back and, and do a very formal, very effective risk management analysis. And in doing that risk management analysis, they say, what are the potential costs and what are the probabilities of those costs? So here's what we do know. We know that roughly 70% of hospitals have been hit by ransomware, which means those hospitals do have vulnerable networks. And we know that 53% of medical devices are vulnerable to compromise with known published compromises, known vulnerabilities that can be easily compromised. So you have that 70% of hospitals are compromised. You have 53% of medical technology uh, is highly vulnerable. Then I think you you have some numbers that can be very, very compelling to the, the, the boards of the hospitals. I, I think the breakdown here is that the chief information security officers are doing a bad job of quantifying the, the financial impact of the risk to the boards of directors, to the CEOs, and to the chief finance officers. At the funding, yeah. Um, interesting um, about the risk to hospitals, not just financially, but otherwise. Mark, can you talk about the risk to patients? If I'm wearing a pacemaker and somehow have been hit by a cyber attack. And by the way, what do hackers want to, what is it they want by, by you know, hitting my pacemaker? Is it ransomware? What do they get out of it? So, so there's, there's a couple different scenarios that I think we have to understand what are the motivations of the, what I call the threat actors, okay? That's what we call the intelligence community and in the FBI. These are threat actors. Most of the threat actors attacking hospitals are not looking to kill people, okay? They are looking to steal information so that the hospital has to pay them a ransom. They're in business. That's what they're trying to do. They're in business. They want to get the biggest ransoms that they can. And so what they're doing is they're using these vulnerable devices as the initial compromise locations. So instead of trying to get into a, a desktop computer or a laptop that may have anti-malware, they may have Windows Defender running or CrowdStrike Falcon running or Carbon Black running, instead of going after those hard targets, what do they go after? They go after the insulin pump because it's built on you know, Windows Millennium Edition. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not kidding, okay? And so then from there, now they can create that what's known as their persistence. They're able to... Uh, monitor the network laterally, find additional credentials. They're able to move laterally. And so what's happening is these these insecure devices become a nexus or an avenue of attack for the ransomware actors. Now, that is the best case scenario. I know that sounds bad, but that's the best case scenario. Let's say we get into a shooting conflict, all right? Taiwan, Ukraine heats up, okay? We know that in the last uh, three weeks, a Russian organized crime group called CLOP attacked numerous corporations and attacked several of our agencies and some of our departments, okay? That's an escalation. What happens when we have an, a, an adversary who wants to create pandemonium in the American healthcare system as a way to intimidate the American people? And they just start going into hospitals and shutting down insulin pumps and shutting down heart monitors and shutting down pacemakers. What's that? Has that happened, Mark? 
It has not. But to me, that's the worst case scenario. Do I think it's likely? I, I don't think it's likely until we are involved in what I would call a highly escalated um, situation. So I don't, I'm not going to be chicken little here, okay? I'm not going to be chicken little and say, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But this is this is the potential consequence if tensions continue to escalate in places like Ukraine or the uh, Straits of Taiwan. And uh, we have heard of incidents where bad actors have gotten in to take down EHRs and close down the computer system. So that has happened. Mark, it's been a pleasure speaking with you for HIMSCAST, and you've given us a lot of interesting information and more than that, uh, recommendations to think about uh, to protect uh, protect us from cybersecurity actors and, and ransomware. Anything you'd like to close with? Any recommendations? Any final thoughts? Well, once again, I, I think uh, the most important thing that we need to do is understand the value of implementing compensating controls. We can't immediately fix these devices. That's what the new legislation from December 2022 is going to help us do. But that's going to take a while to roll out. So in order to secure these devices, because they're built on vulnerable operating systems, the the CISOs and their IT directors and med tech directors need to start implementing appropriate compensating controls. And those can be implemented. It's going to be difficult. It's going to cost a little bit of money. But I think the cost of those compensating controls will be less than the, the potential cost of either the loss of life, negative outcomes, or um, paying some sort of ransomware. Lark, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on HIMSCAST. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here.